Well, Kevin, I think I woke up the 10-month-old man on that, on that whistle there, buddy. <laughs>
I knew I had set the intention that I wanted to be a dream maker, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to do that. So it wasn't until I saw it in action where mm. I had a leader who pulled me aside as I, my, my first job out of college. And she, she noticed that my performance appraisal was not good. And, but I had signed it. So she wanted to know why I had signed the performance appraisal. Well, I had never, I didn't know what a performance appraisal was. I didn't know the impact of it. So she had me redo the performance appraisal alongside her. And she had me defend each question. And then she said, she asked me what my career plans were and what I wanted to do. And so as I began to explain that, she said, I wasn't ready. She said, mm. I wasn't ready because my supervisor wasn't teaching me, hadn't been coaching me, but I didn't know that. I was so green. I was so new. And so she scheduled time. She was the director. So she scheduled time to meet with me weekly until I knew what I needed to know. And she said, now when an opportunity comes up, you'll be ready to bid on a position and you will be able to advance your career. She saw I was being underutilized. She saw I wasn't being trained. And so she took the time to coach me and train me. And so then I realized that's how you become a dream maker. Love that. And so that's what I like coaching people and mentoring people well, is part like of you my said, giving them, time. giving them the time, right? That time is an investment that you're giving to them. But I, what I hear and what I commonly say about Tyler and, and other people in that social board of directors is, is the identification of potential that we are unable to identify in our own self. And, and that is that, that chief empowerment, the chief enablement, the chief encouragement officer, whatever we want to say is that, that CEO role. But I love how succinctly he puts it and you have taken it. It's just dream making. I, I, I always yeah. say, what doors can you open for somebody else? Um, because you have no idea what, what that one moment, that 10 minutes, that 15 minutes, how that could have a domino effect in that individual's life and uh, potentially grow their impact. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And your energy is just beaming. Nikisha. I know. I'll tell you that. I'm, I'm she sure was you're... nervous. Did I tell you she, she was really, now she's a natural, I would say she's an absolute natural. It's oh. like, this isn't her first rodeo. Not at all. And Nikisha, I got to know what's, what's number one on your playlist right now. Oh, well, it rotates. So okay. like this morning I, I did, I had to do some drop off. And so Maxwell played, Hall and Oates played, Alicia Keys played, Run DMC played. So <laughs> oh, anything can hit my playlist. Maxwell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> back in the all right. <laughs> Bringing me back, Nikisha. And, and I saw that you dude. I, okay. Yeah, that, that is all over the place in a good way, right? Yeah. You know, Hall and Oates, huh? I love music. I love music. Yeah. So. yeah. Right yeah. on and right on. And and I, I saw you posted something a couple of weeks ago and you said this is what you posted about sponsors. Um, and, and, and and it was a TED Talk, I believe, that you posted. So in the TED Talk, I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, I want to say it was about um, Black women navigating, navigating the workforce okay. and the obstacles that they face and the need for representation and the need for um, that ability to reach back and pull forward right? So that we're not all competing with one another. 
because that's what typically is happening. Uh, well, you need to compete, right? Obviously you need to compete, but just because I'm in the room, there's more opportunities. I need to, once I get in the room, I need to create more opportunities for others to come along, not, not try to prevent others because I want to be the only. And so here's a better way to explain it. So there have been a lot of like DEI initiatives, like during the 2020, you know, after, you know, George Floyd was murdered. So you see all these DEI initiatives popping up. Well, black and brown people can be in the C-suite period, not just in the DEI space, right? So when now that you're popping up these DEI initiatives and you're you're in your organizations and you're putting having black putting black people in those spaces it's like here's where you fit now there's a space for you and then once someone gets there you still need to create other opportunities and um advancement for other people i don't know if i'm if i if i, if I was to say is they're, they're putting them in a box right yeah um for other for another check of the box and and then i think that's that's in, in essence i think it's it came up in a in a panel discussion that we have with other women in leadership women can be nasty was brought up by one of the the, the female like how mm-hmm. how can females help support empower encourage enable other females right. to generate more opportunities instead of tapping into the same selfish interests of man and woman right. um to seek safety and 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 I guess recognition of self before supporting the the dreams of others, and and I thought that was fascinating because, I mean, Tyler and I have been in sales um, before in prior roles, right? And it is a general competition, but you kind of get to see, um, I guess, who, the who's going to rise to the top and yeah. um, look at competition as a way to fuel the and help others uh, achieve their goals and expectations. Um, or is it a com- competition where I'm hoarding knowledge, I'm hoarding information, I'm hoarding what I do because only I want to enrich myself. So I, right. I love how you, I love, I love anything that has to do with that because it's, it's more or less, how can we work together? And yeah, I, I really have a philosophy as well from like the dream makers, dream breakers and like being that dream maker to leaders, building leaders and like iron sharpening iron like you can't rise without asking for help and getting help and coaching from others and then you have to pay it forward and coach others and bring them along so um and mention um other people's names and rooms there's there's more than enough space is the point that i was making there's more than enough space and work for all of us there's room for all of us um so i i I prefer to make space I agree. And and so do I. And I think Tyler, that's what draw, drew Tyler and I together when we first met is you, you talked about dream makers and, and, and those two concepts, right? Just let's talk about networking, right? Yeah. So networking is this idea that you're helping others achieve what they're looking to achieve at the same time, they're, they're looking out for you, right? In a good right. networking environment, right? Systematically Absolutely. trying to find solutions to the everyday problems, Right. Absolutely. Um, but how many people, right, actually do what they say they were going to do, I can tell you is a fraction of the actual conversations that Tyler, myself and others had. Um, right. So you can definitely see, right, am I acting, am I pretending to just say enough to get what I want out of that person? 
And right. to me, I said, anytime you're coming to a conversation to build a relationship with a hidden agenda, that is manipulation. That is not yes. a relationship at that point. So you, we can see it every single day. You talked yeah. about kind of getting together. Um, so my last personal question, I guess, that I have for you before we just jump into it is we talked about music. I think music brings us all together. Mm -hmm. But food is the other thing that I see us all se separate our differences and say, yep, that was a really good meal. Yeah. What, what, where are you taking Tyler and I out and what three people are you bringing with you um, to have the best meal here in Hornell, maybe, or Rochester? Well, Hornell, I would take you to my parents' house because my parents are the best cooks. But... All right. I'm in for that. <laughs> yes. Home-cooked meal. I'm in. They Who's joining us at the table? The best. Um, so Jerner Truth, Harriet Tubman, and Frederick Douglass. Ooh, they wow. are phenomenal leaders so when you're thinking leadership they all possess all of the skills that we all should be striving towards and they they didn't have education yeah. so they they weren't educated they weren't wearing the latest designer anything and they were able to lead hundreds Right. They were able to help hundreds uh, and more and beyond um, each generation. But even if you just hone in on Harriet, she she went back. She came back again and again and brought people forward. And this is someone who didn't have a map. She also had a disability. Right. She had seizures. And um, right now, if someone if someone told us that they were going to have us leave our very existence of what we knew because there is something better according to our own experience that we've experienced and now we're going to have you walk with us a hundred plus miles with no going back with no map and we're going to get there by looking at the stars we wouldn't go to the corner yeah so yeah. you have to have that that leadership skill to inspire and to influence and build that trust and respect. And she did it over and over and over again. And, and she did it as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. So she's collaborating with all people uh, across race, across beliefs. And that's what you have to do as leader. So they mm -hmm. are my, those are my top three. And I, I can't, I, I love that because I, I think it just speaks to leadership is that she kept subjecting herself to her being unsafe to save mm -hmm. others. And and, and not many people would take a bullet for somebody else, right? As that saying goes, is right. not a lot of people are willing to throw themselves into the fire or put themselves at risk for the betterment of all. So I, I those are three, uh, Tyler and I, we would all have our hands full with that table. I don't think we would be leaving your parents' house well after midnight, it sounds like, with that conversation. Right. <laughs> and Nikisha, I wanted to ask you, where, where do you think that inspiration comes from to inspire people, influence people, especially with no education, right? Like, I mean, I'm not, in, I'm not a big harper on education. Trust me, I, mm -hmm. I really dropped out, you know. Um, but uh, where, where do you think that comes from? Probably the, um, so like empathy and compassion, Um and, you know, that internal just it's I, I would say for them, it was just innate and knowing um, what was what what is right and what's wrong and how, how do we get to what's right. And the other reason why um, I just love them, those three is because they all work towards expanding the we, hmm. you know, like we the people. 
So they all, how can we um, make this place inclusive so that the, the life experience for everyone improves, you know, expanding the we. So they all strive towards that. Do you ever think about them daily, like when you're you're around work, and like kind of like a, what would they do if, with that group? I do, I do a lot of times. <laughs> I do. Right, yeah. powerful. I mean, but your life experiences, and I go back to like Dale Carnegie. You can everybody knows Dale Carnegie at this point. That book's been circulated a thousand times. I've probably read it a couple times. I've picked it up a couple times. I know that too, and only read small pieces, but he really focused on the essence of connection through how making somebody else, how you made that other person feel, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think just that um, we all hear it in church every week. If we, if we follow faith at all, and you can hear that same message over and over again, but you don't see the application of that lesson um, in society. And, and, and it's kind of scary and frightening at the same time, because it kind of speaks to why I only know a fraction of my actual neighbors, right? It's we're, 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 we're kind of, hermit crabbing yes <laughs> right. right where it's like i only am going to talk to these people that share my same opinion and therefore yeah. my opinion and my ideas and it's the same thing that we've seen play out in business with promotions um but let's talk about um cuz it seems like you had a vision for yourself just going back for when you first went into select a degree right going yeah. into the uh, psychology field. Uh, my sister is uh, was a psychologist, and now she's a VP within a general construction firm. Which I think, how often do you feel like you're taking some of the lessons that you learn from psychology, and really seeing how they play out in social situations, building team, innovation, creativity, psychological safety? How have you seen kind of what you learned in school apply to what you do now in leadership over at Starbridge? I like to know why. So that's that's why I went into psychology. I like to know why people do what they do and then anticipate an outcome or um, focus on like the perception of what has occurred or what is occurring. So that's that's primarily why I would say um, that's why I went into psychology and so supporting people with disabilities has always been a passion of mine. Um, I I grew up, well, I grew up in Hornell and I grew up next door to a gentleman who was a quadriplegic. Wow. And um, so he had like a C2 or C3 spinal cord injury. So he was paralyzed from the neck down. And as a child, I being exposed, it, it was just natural. It was just everyday existence and everyday spaces. And um, although he was a neighbor, he his family became like family to, to ours and continued on um, for years. He has since passed. But I would say like, um, like in, so I, I have that experience. And my neighbor, Richie, was an extreme part of my life. But then I saw in the school system, like otherness. Mm. And people with disabilities were in, in the school, but in a completely different wing of the school. And I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. And 
I didn't understand why it was separate. So I, I always like to focus on why. I always try to get down to why. Even in, currently in the work that I do, um, people that I'm coaching, I'm always trying to figure out why did you do what you did or why are you, and not in a, um, not in a you're in trouble type of way, but just so that I can learn. I learn from understanding why we can't do something, why this is the best way to do something. I don't know if I'm really answering your question. No, you you basically, I love how you said otherness, but se separated from the rest, right? But genuinely, I, I get back to what you said earlier on, you're an entrepreneur at heart, right? So entrepreneurial leadership is something that I'm passionate about because I'm naturally and genuinely curious. And when we're right. always looking for the answer of why, it, it, it forces us to ask more questions than to yes. tell. So yes. I get exactly what you're saying is because when you're kind of ultimately searching for the why or the best way, you're bringing in multiple perspectives, multiple experiences or insights in order to factor into the decision that everybody can then support because they had say within that decision-making process. So I get exactly what you're saying, Nikisha. Yeah. And I think it's Absolutely. great. It kind of speaks to other organizations. Sometimes Tyler and I are having talent conversations, right? And um well, given what Tyler does and I do daily, uh, the attraction and retention of talent continues to come up, right? And you'll ask, right, what are you looking for? Well, I want somebody that's creative, innovative, entrepreneur, right? And then we bring that person in, we find that person with those skills and then subject them to a process, a policy and a, and, and, and procedure, yeah. right? So instinctively, that's what we're looking for because it, we know it's what we need. However, our organizational structure and, and process kind of writes it out of the job description yeah. when they're actually in the day-to-day. -day. How, given that you are entrepreneur, and I would say most people are by nature because we're not motivated until we fully understand the why um, and, and it's explained in a way that we can understand. Um, but how do you keep that entrepreneurial spirit of your team to prevent the same thing that we talked about with special needs or disability? Yeah separating, um, because that's honestly what I see in most organizations today. Operations is in their bucket. They're separated. They're in their own wing, right? Finance is at the total opposite end of, of the building. How do you build that entrepreneurial spirit amongst your team to continue to bring forth the best innovation and creativity? So I get resistance with this, but I look for, and I encourage my team to look for intellectual uh, curiosity in, in candidates, right? You, I need them to be intellectually curious, smart, and willing to do the work because everything else can be uh, trained yeah. uh, and, and coached and educated on. But that's where I also um, get a lot of resistance because yeah. people want, they want people to come with all this. They want them to be able to do and have all of this experience and to be able to do all the things and I'm like, who, I don't know who, the, if this person even exists, like who can come and do all of the things? Like, I just don't know who that is. So I'm saying if they're intellectually curious, they're smart and willing to do the work, we should be hiring them. Yeah. So. Well, self-preservation, right? Is it easier for that manager to not have to spend that time that that in one individual that you said early on in your career was willing to spend with you? And that's kind of what we see. And we fight so hard to get this talent and then we feed them to the wolves with an afterthought of uh, onboarding to actually check in to see how are you successful and how can I help make you more successful? So 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm big time on that experience piece. And I, you, you talked about it earlier and I'll get to it with my next. Yeah. Nikki Shaw would have, so, you know, you can't really coach like willingness and enthusiasm and curiosity, right? It's like when you find one of those people, it's like, you can probably do anything you want, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I was going to ask you, you know, when, when you first like felt that, that natural organic like purpose in life, when that like light bulb clicked on, um, how important is that to you? Like, like when you get out of bed and you have that like finally moment of holy crap, I find I made it somehow mm -hmm. to, to to get better at something, and it really matters to me. Did did you have a defining moment when that happened? Because I I can for sure draw a, a thick line in my life when that started for me, and I just I, I try to portray it to others and convey the message, but just wanted to know your your experience. I don't know if I had a defining moment. I do know that you know that that saying do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I hit the jackpot. So amplifying the voices of people uh, with disabilities at straight out of college, I got my first job and I loved it. I, I love the work that I do so I can work all the time and it doesn't feel like work to me. Um, there were, there've only been a couple of times in my life where I didn't love it. Um, but it wasn't the work that I didn't love. It was the circumstances we had to downsize because there were changes in our ind industry we're heavily medicaid funded and and rates changed so we had to um downsize but um typically every day i love uh, i love doing the work and and i think the reason why i love it is because of my experience growing up next door to my neighbor and um and how much i you don't know you don't know as a child that someone is influencing you and you don't know your situation and circumstances of life, how they're going to impact you later and um, and how it's going to show up in your life. So I would say that probably my experiences, I, I saw disability different and I because my neighbor lived on his own. Mm -hmm. He lived in his own house by himself. He had services that came in and he had family members that came in to help get him up and, and things of that nature but to see that as a child and to see some other things um just like his friends that would come over and who were also disabled and they're driving a van like to see that at 10 years old you're like how did how did you drive that van like you didn't mm -hmm. like where is the driver so Although at that time, I didn't realize my thoughts were ableist thoughts, mm -hmm. and I didn't recognize that I was witnessing equity or disability justice due to the van having, um, you know, the ad adaptive equipment to allow a person who was paralyzed to be able to drive their own vehicle. So this, some of his friends had was were paralyzed from the waist down, so they still had functioning of their hands and they were able to drive their van. But at you, when you see that at 10 years old, you don't realize that that's equity. You don't realize that that's disability justice. So as time goes on, and as I continue to work in this field, I just continue to learn so much and realize um, a lot. I, I love what you said, though. You saw it as a child, because I think same thing, right? You could have talked about those same students in that school that you saw that theoretically could have potentially never saw somebody with a disability within their own school. 
you right. seeing that show that they are capable, they do have the abilities, and it kind of changed your perspective in the long term, right? As Agreed. what you're seeing today. And yes. it kind of gets to my, I guess, my next question, because what you got, the work that you guys are doing at Starbridge and really looking for, because there's less people today, there's less people with the exact skills that an employer is looking for today um, than is needed, especially here in Rochester. And I think uh, during Leadership Rochester, uh, during your presentation, there was some to the tune of like 60,000 mm -hmm. in Rochester with disabilities, right? Yes. And only a small fraction of those are actually currently employed. Correct. Um, you talked about it before we got on the show too, about needing, you were getting overlooked because I didn't have a master's degree. Mm -hmm. How is academic success, right? Actually correlated with long-term success within a career, within an organization to get organizations to start thinking differently about talent, Disab disabled, right? The re-entry programs. Mm. How can we effectively look through requirements um, and prior experiences to identify some of those soft skills that you've talked about already, right? Mm -hmm. How can we work together as a community to ultimately, everybody wants a job, they feel more secure, that gives them financial freedom, it gives them choice. How do we start to break down some of those barriers that started when we were in K through 12 with mm -hmm. this population that we've never really truly considered as a potential labor pool for our organizations as we continue to adapt and evolve? So the barriers started before K through 12. So the barriers really are structural racism and institutional oppression. You know, it's those pillars of supremacy that everyone is upholding. And that's why, um, that's why at Starbridge, we focus on intersectionality, right? So so for myself, I um, the intersections that I'm constantly facing are racism, colorism, and sexism, right? You have to identify those isms. But then a person with a disability, they may have those same, you know, racism, colorism, sexism, but then also ableism, and other, you know, if they're a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So I see those um, like education and all of those things that are put into a job description as um, their barriers, but it's upholding institutional oppression yeah. and, and, and people are comfortable with it. The gatekeepers in the organizations are comfortable with upholding that pillar of institutional oppression. And you, you see it daily, right? Because when, when you're preparing to invite people into a space, you make it ready for them, right? Like you, yes. if you know that you're, you're having company over and your company is allergic to peanuts or they don't eat seafood, you make sure you don't have those things Correct. There because they don't like it and it's going to cause harm or whatever it, negative impact might occur. So as employers, we have to make our spaces welcoming and ready to accept people as well as our benefits packages, right? So benefits packages like durable medical equipment, if someone has to use any type of um, like a wheelchair or any other type of um, ambulatory device that they need, 
you have to be willing to um, have that built into your in your into your benefits packages as well, because then it demonstrates that you're expecting them. You're 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 wanting people with disabilities to come work, and you are creating the space, and as well as all of these little eight to five and nine to five. It's just not realistic. Like those like banker hours, for not for profits, it it's just difficult. So throughout my career working in not-for-profits, some of the biggest obstacles that you, that I would encounter is that we all, we all work nine to five and then parents of their, you know, children with disabilities, they can't get to meetings because the meetings is the, during, sometime during the middle of the day, they have to take off of work. It, it's just always, um, it's, it's just messy. So, the same thing for a person who's working with a disability, you have to create the space that it may take them time for transportation. It may take them time to just adjust and regulate if they have to manage pain, if they are relying on someone else to come to the, the home and provide care for them before they can even get to work. It may be more realistic for them to have a, a 10 to six, uh, 11 to seven or 12 to eight, an eight schedule as well as a remote option. Mm -hmm. And even with having a remote option, it still may mean that they can't start their day until 10, 11, um, or, or 12 o'clock. Yeah. That's just the reality. Yeah. Until we're, until we're willing to restructure the, the day. Right. And, and ultimately it comes down to yeah. tasks, duties and, and outcomes. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I think Henry Ford had a brilliant idea. If I was working on a line, right, a manufacturing line, I think those hours make a lot of sense. If productivity and output was my primary focus, right, and to do it most cost effectively uh, for the for the customer at the end of the day. But I love what you said because it kind of gets back to what I talk about from a diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint. Is back to what everybody saw in 2020, right? We had this huge polarization. And then this uh, almost like an overcorrection of sorts to try to deny what you said from a requirement standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, which was was kind of fascinating to see. But then everybody went immediately to diversity. Bring in diverse candidates. Bring them in as fast as we can get them. Bring them in, right? right. Ultimately, they only really looked at their frontline staff. It never really trickled into their middle management, to senior leadership, to the executive table, to your point. But if you're hiring those individuals, right, and I haven't created an equitable and inclusive environment, aren't they going to leave as fast as they come? Kind of getting back to exactly what you said. If you haven't made it ready for them, why mm -hmm. would they stay and why would they take your word for it? Um, so I love how you, you you really put that so succinctly. I also want to add, though, too. So when all of these DEI initiatives uh, were created, and even, even when I started in my career, so because I grew up in Hornell, which is rural, right? It's very rural, yeah. and it's predominantly yeah. white. Um, I also, I went to school, I went to Buff State, and um, and I stayed in Buffalo, and then right out of college, I started working in this in this sector of not-for-profits. And I saw all these Black people. Like, I started as a direct support professional, you know, I, even though I had a degree. But I saw all these Black people. And I was like, oh, here, here are all the Black people. And then, because I had a degree, I was able to move up the ranks a little bit faster. And mm -hmm. as I moved up those ranks and I looked around, then I'm like, where are the Black people? Like, what is mm -hmm. happening that I'm no longer seeing? Black people 
as managers and directors and, and leaders in, in these organizations. And it wasn't just one organization, it's all across the not-for-profit scene. So then now let's fast forward to 2020 and these DEI initiatives, and we're gonna bring in all these people of color and they're, they're in these C-suites. But now you've continued like the compression of that institutional oppression because you had black people in the organization already and now they still can't rise. Yeah, you have this facade of blackness and diversity in your organization now, but you've still created institution oppression and upheld that pillar because the people who've been working there for years still cannot rise in your organization. So you have to create those career trajectories for people. And, and that means you have to have conversations Correct. with the people that you walk past every day yeah. beyond hello. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so that's that's interesting. So you would, if it was up to you, Nikisha, and some of these organizations you're speaking of right now, what, what would you have done differently? And sorry if you just kind of told me that, but if you could just put it in like a cartoon for me um, version. <laughs> I, I would coach the people who were there. I would have conversations to understand. So one of the things that I do with people, I just met with um, one of the Starbridge employees and we went out to lunch and they're stressed out, right? Because now the CEO is asking you out, Come, come to lunch with me. And they're like, what is going on? And, and so, Today, my last day is probably what they're thinking. <laughs> when she met with me, she's like, you know, I, my, I was talking to my mom about this. I was talking to my friends, like, how do I dress? How do I do? And, you know, I had to apologize because I'm not into titles. Like I'm into like my, just myself and my name. So I wasn't even thinking like, oh, she's meeting with the CEO, but you know, everyone, she's thinking I'm the CEO. I'm meeting with the CEO. And so I really wanted to get to know her and um, hear her career goals. And I always do, if you could wave a magic wand and do anything, you know, what would you do? And then, you know, you, that's when you really begin to hear what people are passionate about, what they love doing. And this young lady was three months from obtaining uh, a degree and got COVID really bad during the whole pandemic and hasn't returned to school. And so we were talking about that. And, and that's one of the things that I was saying, three months is too close to um, not keep going. You know, you need to proceed as if success is inevitable. So what do we need to do to get you back in school? And then from there, you can make any decision because the focus is, I, I want to say at Starbridge, I really enjoy what you're doing. I, I like it here. And that's great. And I'm I'm so happy to hear that. But you can't, I can't know that you're this close and um, and not get the paper. So we got to get the paper. We're, so we're talking through and working through that. But um, so I, and then there were some other people who I, I, when I came to Starbridge in 2019, who I did the same thing, wave the magic wand. And so they shared what they were interested in. And now we're at a place where we can begin to create those career paths and trajectories so that they can remain at Starbridge and, and rise and have opportunity to continue to influence the culture and leadership of the organization. Absolutely, yeah. I can... 
You, right. You're starting to talk about title bias. That's something that Tyler and I definitely would tell you that we had um, before we started a show like this. It was like, are those people even people? Like, I don't even know what they do. Like, I, are they human? I'm not sure. Right. Um, because we just never had those organic conversations. But mm-hmm. I love what you kind of brought up through that organic conversation. You probably got that individual to verbalize their dream. Yeah. And a lot of people protect that dream. They don't really share it with others for mm-hmm. fear of accountability I think yes. sometimes, or fear of judgment, or that's a crazy idea, right? Why would you ever do that? Um, so I feel like a lot of people hold that final dream destination with that magic wand of what I could do if I woke up tomorrow. But it, it, inevitably you were able to then identify, well, if that's your definition of success, how can I help enable to get you there? Um, right. But then ultimately, you also become like the shared partner in that success, ultimately holding them accountable to that goal um, that they shared and verbalized. So I, I think conversations, to your point, is only the real way that we can be effective leaders, because just like a team, we had Patrick Luckett on. He talked about Jim Beheim, knowing how you can push certain people or what strengths that they have to expose them to a challenge or a problem and know that they will flourish only really truly comes by fully understanding the individual. And I don't know how you do that with just the circuit. Like you said, um, the, 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 just, hi, how you doing? Good. And we just kind of go into autopilot when we're dealing with anybody else on our team. Right. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. Nikish, I want to ask you, why, why do y'all think you too, Kevin, man, like, why do y'all think us like Americans specifically in my experience are afraid to tell each other what we love, our passions are, like, like it's, it's, it's so strange because normally Nikisha, I ask someone what their favorite music is. They give me the word everything. Right. <laughs> and, and you ask my team in India, they're like, dude, I freaking love Tom Cruise and, Keanu <laughs> and Backstreet Boys. I love Keanu Reeves. Like, and they are passionate and they don't, it's just this so my, my ha- hair is standing up. It's just so uplifting to me. I'm like, I would love, love if everyone walked around saying that I love Keanu Reeves with no judgment. Right. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying, Nikisha? Why why do you think people hold it to the che- their chest? No one we're gonna die pretty dang soon, to be honest. We're all floating on a little blue ball in the middle of nothing. And right. then we're worried about telling someone that we love, you know, a little something, something from Maxwell. Like um, you, you tell me, like, like what, what's your experience in that? Why and why do you think we're like that? I think that I guess due to systems that have been created and um I always I can always like stem it back to like structural structural racism that um, there is um, a fear of freedom. There's a, a fear of um, true expression because it has, it, depending on what your beliefs are or what your likes are, what your loves are, you're going to receive the uh, this outward opinion that it's wrong or you're you're going to be banished into something or yeah so let me just mind my own business let's let me keep my views and opinions to myself and my loves and hopes and aspirations to myself so that now I don't have to get banished from being in it's so difficult everyone wants to be you want to be in you want to fit and you want to have a sense of belonging mm-hmm. and if, if I reveal too much of myself, I may not belong. You may, uh, I may not fit. And because of that, I'm going to just 
I'm going to stay reserved. That's that's what I think. Same vein with feedback, Ty, too. Like, how do, how do, most people don't even ask for feedback. I'm always asking for feedback and genuine yeah. feedback, so I can always get better. But Same. some people don't like listening to feedback either. They don't they don't yeah, really cool. care what it's like to be on the other side of them. I just had my um like like so managers up so managers directors, um, and the executive team do a three hundred and sixty review on myself and the chief program officer. And now it was on us, but people were so that stressed people out. Mm -hmm. But I said, it's going to, it's going to help us. It's going to help us do better, learn more. Especially if the the feedback is constructive, I can work with that. Um, But yeah, I seek out feedback as well. Yeah. But I think it's only, people are only willing if they've established trust. And I think Tyler is that, if we continue to throw up our guards, and I've had this conversation with Roseanne um, uh, over at Fisher Associates um, the other day, and she said this onion exercise that she's done in a leadership course, and they just continue, you partner up and you ask the other person, who are you? And if that, whatever answer that you give, you can no longer use that answer the next time you get asked, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's kind of a fascinating human experiment to mm-hmm. show how many layers that people put up, and they're kind of just guards. Yeah. Like if I asked you, Tyler, who are you? You might say I'm a father, right? And then I ask you, who are you? Then you might say well, I'm a I'm a recruiter. And who are you, right? Ultimately, we try to shield who we just what I said from the dreams, sharing of dreams. To that point, so many people just to articulate and give that to somebody else. It's just a fear of safety, uh, um, a fear of judgment. I know I. I've shared I was bullied, bullied. So I became a chameleon very early on in my professional career because it was just easier to blend in um, mm-hmm. and go mm-hmm. along uh, with everybody else the, for the fear of standing out. Um, I right. think being yeah. able to be individualized, it takes a brave person. And I don't know if everybody has that self-confidence or a belief. Um, we're pretty hard on ourselves ultimately at the end of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always fascinating to me when I get to ask people, what are your greatest strengths? And they really struggle. And then I say, well, what are your greatest weaknesses? And they can just rattle them right off. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very fascinating when you actually can get into some of those exercises. But Nikisha, and kind of just, I guess, in your parting, parting words of advice, you, you've stepped in during a very challenging time for any leader to step in. It's that We're dealing with um, rising interest rates, right? Um, we're dr- dealing with uh, inflation. We're dealing with labor shortages. It's not an easy time to, to become a, a, and step into an organization as maybe it was previously. Right. What lessons would you share in your one year? I know you shared this message as to what yeah. you learned, but give us the Cliff Notes version of that letter that you shared to the general public of what you had to learn within your first year as being CEO and president of Starbridge. Yeah, it was hard, you know, um, working in this sector for over 25 years. You just know, I know what I know and excited and energized. And then, you know, you have to, it's like you have to start all over again because now you're in rooms at tables that you hadn't been at um, or you've been on the periphery. I had been on the periphery of those, but now it's like, well, now you need to prove yourself as this leader, as the CEO. And um, and that's when you realize some people aren't willing to make space for you. And, and, and you know, that's hurtful, but, you know, you get over that. But in the end, I have to, I, I'm always about 
being true to myself. I don't like to, um, I don't like to look back and see where I've betrayed myself. Like I'm not a fan of self-betrayal. So I have to just be true to myself and um, and continue to to focus on what I know is right. I'm a fan of how do we get to yes? How do we get to making things happen? And iron sharpening iron. How how are you helping others get to where they need to be? Whether it is other employees or if it's uh, other members of our community, how are you helping others so that we can advance forward? It's the humanity for me. So that's what I focused on. That's what it continues to get me through. Sometimes I do question myself, yeah. like, why did you want this job? <laughs> I did, some, some days I'm like, did you really apply for this? And so then it was like, yes, and here's why. So I have yeah. to give myself a pep talk and encourage myself some days. I want to, I guess I have one a, a question because it's something that I struggle with um, continuously. And I think um, a lot of people do is that that seek of validation of expertise. Right. Mm. And I think you put it so perfectly was I had to prove myself as a leader. Mm -hmm. Why do we believe that we have to prove ourselves to anybody else other than who we lead to seek validation that we know what we're actually doing? I, I do it myself. Right. And Tyler yeah. and I just had a meeting yesterday and I probably went above. Right. To, to push and show that that level of expertise to just get validated that I you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I think for myself, it's because as a Black woman, I've always had to demonstrate and more, I had to do more than and convince so that I can be seen and heard so that I can just be in the room. So can I just get in the room? I'm, you know, you don't have to quite pull up a chair yet, but can I get in the room? Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it's always of that, well, what are you going to do for us when you get in the room? And how do we know we're not wasting a spot on you um, by letting you in the room and not letting um, someone, someone else in the room? So it's always that constant. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to that upholding those pillars of mm -hmm. structural racism, institutional oppression. So you, and you want to fit, you want to have a sense of belonging and that's something that I just think that we all see, seek out as humans. You want to have connection and you want to contribute. Yeah. So, and you want to demonstrate that, you know, I am someone, uh, I do have a strong work ethic. I can, um, I, I, I can contribute and I have a lot to offer and you, we're just seeking that um, validation. Again, yeah. And I do think there is that switch, right? Because I think there is this belief that I'm only good at what others tell me I'm good at. Right. And then there's and a switch. And like, I don't know if it's confidence or somebody's like self-belief grows mm -hmm. or ultimately then they change, they share opinion. And frankly, they're not afraid as to who hears it and how they take it. I, there's definitely a yeah. switch with other individuals and maybe those are the pretenders the people that are playing dress up and uh, pretend every day um that 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 we look up to and, and some yeah i refuse and i would hear those things well people will try to limit you and they and if you believe it you will shrink and i re i refuse to shrink I love that and i i i don't believe other people's views and opinions i know who i am you're not going to tell me who i am so i will listen to them and I, you have to let it hit here 
-hmm. and not here or here. And so I just, that's how I navigate the workforce, to be honest. Or throw on some Coach Prime videos lately, y'all. You know, he's sitting there telling this whole room, why do I care what you think about right. me? You right. know, like you just put that on repeat and go throughout your day. It feels pretty dang good. And, and I guess my oh, I guess my three cents on it is if, to me, in my experience with this topic, we're saying it, it, back to purpose and, and really kicking some ass, right? And you're in life, right? If I'm doing that, when I, if, if I don't even know if someone's talking like that to me. I have no, I'm like naive in a great way because I have so much rolling in here. It's like, I have this goal over here that I'm chasing and people, even if they're saying, did you know they said that? I'm like, no, anyways, let's keep on pushing. But, but it took me a while to get there. I heard people talk about that sort of. I'm like, man, how do I get that? Cause that guy just hurt my freaking feelings. It's cause I wasn't, wasn't busy enough doing the right things. You right. know, so for me, it's just, if I'm, I'm on that track, uh, it's just like a different level I feel like in a in a weird in a way I'll just use the word level mm -hmm. uh, of, of that purpose getting out of bed you know hitting this goal doing this building building if I'm building something <laughs> like coach prime says man like why would I care what you think about me you know right. that, and that, that's why I'll leave you with that but yes. I think as long as we're building it, it's inevitable success so yeah Yes. Building to that, yes, I think is uh, just a positive out outlook to that can-do attitude, not not looking for yeah. excuses, but uh, opportunities. So, and, and building is a winning, right? Like, because yeah. once you built it, it ain't that exciting. It's right. like, in my experience, it's like, yeah, I got it. It's like, ah, it was way cooler like a week <laughs> and a half ago when I was in this muck, right. you know, <laughs> with my team or myself and God. <laughs> And now, and now it's over. You know, it's like Elon saying Bitcoin on Saturday Night Live. No one cared, but the buildup sure was fun. You know. But anyway, that's my experience in the past few months, at least. But yeah. Keisha, it's awesome meeting you. Yeah, awesome, awesome meeting you, you Nikisha. I'm so grateful that you said yes. We thank you so much for your leadership in our community and the great work that Starbridge is doing to really. Um, give those what uh, previously were believed that they couldn't add value within an organization or a, or, or a leadership perspective. Um, undoubtedly, you're you're convincing others and and showing every single day that they can do just as much as you or I. Um, albeit, we just have to create the space that is welcoming um, and and gives them the ability. Um, so. I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you're doing, and thank you again for being a special guest on our show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.